0: So if I was to ask you, who is the Rebbe of the Chavitz Chaim? Anyone know who the Rebbe of the Chavitz Chaim is? There's certain G'dayim that, you know, generally I think people know who their Rebbe is, and there's some people that if you stop and think, you say, "Taco, who is his Rebbe? Chavitz Chaim was a person that you know, we know the Chavetz Chaim was such a giant. He must have had a giant of a rabbi. But yet, not too many people know who the rabbi of the Chavetz Chaim is. This is the rabbi of the Chavetz Chaim. His name was Reb Nachumka Kaplan. And Reb Nachumka, as they called him belovedly, was, he didn't have a yeshiva. He didn't have a, he didn't have a shul as a rav. He was a shamish and a shul. He was obviously clandestine Shamish. People thought he was a simple person that took care of the, uh, the upkeep of the shul. The shul was in a city called Harodna in Lithuania, and he was the mentor of the Chabetz Hayim. His holiness and purity were legendary, and those who knew him were in awe of him. They say a lot of stories, like the Chabetz Hayim used to hide uh, at night in the shul, after everyone had left, and he would see his, his rabbi, the simple shamash of the shul, go and open up the Aaron Kaidish and start, like, davening, crying, screaming, and all of a sudden there would be, like, an aura of light around him, and uh, there would be fire that came down, like, crazy stories, with his own eyes, you need holy eyes to just see that also. But in order for, to have a person that lived not too long ago, he lived from 1812 to 1879, that's not a crazy amount of time ago, but this was a very, very special Yid, and he was the Rebbe of the Chavetz Chaim. Many people wanted an image of Reb Nachumka, whoever knew who he was. They wanted a picture of him so that they could hang on their wall, and they would get Yerusha Mayim from it. But in his modesty and humility, he always declined pictures. But yet we have several pictures of him. We have actually maybe just two. Um, but how did they do it? They appealed to his soft heart. They pledged 300 rubles to Tzedakah if he would agree and to go and have his portrait taken. And when he heard that 300 rubles would be going to because of him, so he couldn't, he couldn't refuse. And so he went and he had his picture taken. And every home in Haradna had his picture on the wall, even though he was a shamash. He wasn't known to be a gadol hadar or even a tzadik. He was just a simple shamash. But obviously the word spread and people knew who he was. And in Radin, the Chavetz Chaim didn't hang his picture on the wall, but he kept it in a drawer in his home. And often he would take it out to look at and would say to his children, "Kinderloch." You have no idea what a great Jew this was. So here we have two pictures of Nachumka. This is, um, I think it might be the only two in existence. It took me a long time to find both of them. I had one colorized, and uh, this is them. Thank you. Okay, let us see another another picture together. I don't think that I spoke about this. Did I ever speak about the base of HaMikdash in Lublin? The model of the Shul in Lublin? I don't know. I don't think so. Let's assume didn't. okay? Um, okay, so we know... Rumeir Shapiro. I think everybody must have heard of Rumeir Shapiro. He was famous for two things. He was famous for the fact that he had founded this yeshiva called Chachmi Lublin. Has has anyone been to Chachme Lublin? I think I asked this once before. No, I haven't been there either. But it's a yeshiva in Poland, in the city of Lublin, which is a pretty prominent city. And the building that still stands to this day, which is incredible... Is a magnificent edifice that he built. He raised the money for it, and uh, he went all over the world. Not only to raise the money, but it's not just to put up the building. But then you have to pay for the upkeep. It's not so hard to raise, you know, money at a one-time shot. You know, you get big donors to give and get their names on the buildings. Or, but after that, to get you know to pay for the maintenance, you can imagine how much. I know how much the heating bill costs in my house. It's not cheap. But imagine, like, how much it is to heat this whole building. Imagine how, what the electricity bill must come in the mail to, I don't want to get that bill, to come to Turo, um, you know, the food. I know what it costs to fill up a shopping cart for Shabbos. Imagine feeding a whole yeshiva. So this is what Rameo Shapiro did. He built a huge building, and then he had the, the greatest boys, in terms of their, their brilliant, in order to get into Lublin, he had to know, I think, 250 block Gemara Balpet. He had to be tested on it very thoroughly, and then you could get in. They had hundreds of boys there, so, but he had a dormitory in the building, and he had a dining room, and he had uh, his own anthem, his own flag. He made it into like, a really elite, prestigious institution of, of tire learning. The other thing, of course, he did is he started Tafiaymih. Which is a whole another uh, discussion about. It. I think we've spoken about that in the past. How he uh, came to this, how he he made uh, the Dafyemi uh, announcement at the at the uh, um, at the in Vienna, 1923. We had that on the uh, on the PowerPoint that we did. But anyway, just focusing on the yeshiva for a minute. In the yeshiva, he had a lot of very new innovations. Again, he raised millions of dollars or the equivalent of millions of dollars to make everything cutting edge in the yeshiva. And one of the things that he did was he had, first of all, an outstanding library. We have pictures of him sitting in that library room, and it's wall-to-wall storm. Now, you think, okay, big deal. We also have wall-to-wall storm here. But in those days, to get a safer... It was very expensive. You you weren't able to just order something online, or you know, you know. Today, printing is very cheap. You could print a whole book for like a dollar. It's not a big deal. In those days, it cost a lot of money to get, and you have to find it, and you have to, uh, you know, procure it. And collections. He had an entire library uh, of rare svarim, regular svarim, multiple copies of so and he built this into one room in, in Lublin. That was one thing that made the yeshiva of Lublin stand out. But additionally, he did something very, very interesting. He he made a model of the Beis HaMikdash in one of the rooms in the building. Why did he build a model of the Beis HaMikdash? So he wanted that his students who were studying the laws of the Beis HaMikdash, there's a lot of laws to study in the Beis HaMikdash, right? There's all the karbanis and the actual building of the Beis HaMikdash and all the kalim in the Beis HaMikdash and and, uh, so many things that go in. He wanted that they should be able to come into a room and visualize what they were learning. So he had um, like a famous artist build a to-scale model of the Beis HaMikdash And we have a picture of it. I'll show it to you in a minute. And this photo um, has her mayor Shapiro in it and the artist who made the model. And also there were two journalists that were reporting about the model. And there was the Beis HaMikdash, a lot of the Kalim uh, were built in it. And it was an amazing, amazing part of the yeshiva experience in Lublin. Tragically, just as the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim 2,000 years ago was destroyed, the Lublin model of the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed as well. When the Nazis looted or ruined all of the contents of the yeshiva just nine years after it was built. Here you have this building. He built it uh, you know, in the 1930s, and um, only nine years of learning were done in this building, in this beautiful building. And then the Nazis came in and basically they didn't demolish the building. They kept that up and it became a medical school, a nursing school. Now it's back in Jewish hands. I think it's like a Jewish hotel with a, uh, with a restaurant in it, which is also like a little bit sad that this great yeshiva now is. But at least it's in Jewish hands again. It's not just a nursing school. But the Nazis, nine years after it was built, had it, all the contents destroyed, including the base of Mikdash inside of it. And eyewitnesses tell of the malicious Nazis summoning a group of Jews to the building and ordering them to smash this model temple to smithereens. Okay, let's see one more. Okay, so Reb Chaim Shmulevitz lived from 1902 to 1979. He was absolutely brilliant. He was Rashiva of Mir. A lot of people think that he was the mashkiach in the mirror. Why would they think that he was mashkiach in the mirror? Because his his shmuzen, Siches Musr, he wrote a, there's a sefer that was his compiled Sichot, the shmuzen that he gave, and it's called Siches Musr. It's a bestseller, like a runaway bestseller. So, and he has many famous yesaitis that he brings there that a lot of people know. So people are naturally, they naturally assume, oh, he must have been the Mashkiach in the mirror, because he has all these Musr shmuzen that everybody's quoting always, and not so many people perhaps know his Taira, his shiurim on Gittin and on Psachim and Baba Basra, but a lot of people know his Taira. Like, I'll give you one example of a famous piece that he says, a lot of famous, uh, famous ideas that he brings, but we just had in the Dafyemi a couple of days ago on Dafnun, a very beautiful poignant gemara about Rabbi Akiva and his wife. Rabbi Akiva's wife was the wealthiest girl in the world. Her, her father was a super billionaire, his name was Kalba Savua, and he wanted his daughter, beautiful, rich girl, he wanted her to marry the best guy in Lakewood. You know, why not? He has all the money in the world. He could support the best guy could, uh, from a nice family, and nice mishpacha, and, you know, Talmud Chacham. And instead, she somehow meets her, this Rabbi Akiva. Kiva was uh, not a Talmud Chacham. By his own admission, he called himself an Amaretz. He said a, a very interesting thing. He said, "When I was an amaritz, this was him talking when he was a Tamil chacham and describing his years of when he was a self-proclaimed amaritz. Amoritz means an ignoramus, but it really means like somebody that's anti-Tyra. It's not just like an ignoramus might be just the warm and fuzzy guy that just doesn't learn, but it's more than that. He, he was a person that had a certain hatred for learning." And he said that when I used to be in Amaretz, this is Rabbi Akiva talking, I used to say how Levi, I should be able to find a Talmud Chacham and I would Vanashchena kachamar, and I, will, I would bite his leg like a donkey bites into somebody's leg. So the Talmud, that's how much hatred I had for Talmud Chacham. So his Talmudim said, Rabbi, you know, maybe tone it down, just say you know, I would bite him like a dog, like a, you know, maybe like a chihuahua, like it's not a, you know, it's not going to hurt so badly, it's not, well, I have to say like a, like a chamar, like a donkey, it's not a nice way of, so he said, no, 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 I meant a donkey, he says, a, a, a dog, when it bites into a leg of a mailman or whatever, he bites into the flesh, and that's it, he bites into the flesh, maybe he draws a little blood and he runs away. When it comes to a chamar, when a chamar le'elenu bites into somebody, He bites into the bone. He like crushes the person's bones also. Not just doesn't suffice with the flesh. He wants to go into the bone. He says, that's how deeply I hated Atam al-Chacham. I wanted to like pulverize their bones. And this is Rabbi Akiva. So this is the type of person. Somehow she found him. She wanted to marry him. She saw there was greatness in this Akiva who was a shepherd. And his father, her father says, listen, It's a free country. You want to marry him? I'm not going to stop you. But if you marry this guy, Akiva, I swear, he took a nether, that you are not going to have a penny from my money. I'm a billionaire with a B. You will not get any money from me. You will not get any housing from me. You're not not going to pay any of your bills. I'm not going to give you a, a house. I'm not going to give you a car. I'm not going to give you any. I'm cutting you off. Are you willing to do that? She says, yes, I'm going to marry this man. He made a neder, the father, and then she married a Akiva, and he basically, um, long story short, he asked her for permission if he can go away and study Tyra. So she said, sure, she, that's what she wants. He went away for 12 years. And after 12 years, he came back to visit her. 12 long years came back to visit her. And just as he was about to go into the house, he overhears a conversation of her with a a wicked neighbor. And the wicked neighbor says, you know what, your father was a smart guy. Your father told you not to marry him. He warned you not to marry him. This guy's a deadbeat, he doesn't, never comes home. He's learning, supposedly. He's twelve years away. He doesn't never, never drops you a card, never calls you, never writes to you, never sends you flowers on your on your anniversary. She, he says, "What kind of guy is this that you ended up marrying with?" Like Nebuchadnezzar you So she said, "Halavai." She said, and this is all Rabbi Kiva was listening to this whole conversation. Halavai that he should go away for another twelve years. I'd be very happy if he learned for another twelve years. And when Rabbi Kiva heard this, he basically turned around, and he went back to Yeshiva for another 12 years. The Gemara says that 24 years then, since he had seen her, he came back with 24,000 Talmidim, and she was pushing her way to get to see him, and the Talmidim was saying, like, go away, who are you? And then he stopped him, and he says, let her be. He says, Shall, the words that are immortalized words, anything that I have, and anything that you guys have, that you tell me that and mine have, is all hers. It's all hers, because had she not allowed me to go and learn, so then we would all be nothing. We'd be nothing. So Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz in his Seychelles in Moser asks, I don't understand. He was there. Okay, I understand if you're in yeshiva, you don't want to come home. But you were home. You were right outside of her door, so, okay, so you heard that conversation. She gave you another, another 12 years. But go in, say Hisham Aleichem, have a cup of coffee with her, see how your kids are doing, you know, see if there's a bar mitzvah coming up or something. Like, why did Rabbi Akiva not even come in? Good question, right? What is, anyone know what Rabbi Chaim says? So, if you, you to go back or something like that? Right. Sort of. But he said a famous line. He says, he says does not operate like math work, math operates. In math, 12 plus 12 equals 24. When it comes to Tyra, it doesn't work that that. If you have 12 years, you take a break by seeing her and spending time and whatever, and then you go back for another 12 years, it's not the same, it's not 24 years of consecutive learning. If you learn, we know this ourselves, right? If, you, if you're able to sit and learn for a half an hour that's not the same, half an hour straight is not the same as 15 minutes, taking a coffee break, coming in, and then doing another 15 minutes. Because that coffee break, it already ruined the whole momentum that you had, whatever you were learning, whatever you were doing. Now, you have to start it up again, you have to review again. It's not the same. So Rabbi Kiva, 12 plus 12 is not 24. That's a famous yesayi that Rabbi Chaim Shmuel B'Tsov, but he has a lot of yesayi that's like that in his Sefer Sichas Masur. The story goes that there was a student that was about to travel from America to Israel to study under Reb Chaim Abetz in the mirror. And a man who grew up with Reb Chaim, who lived in America, gave this student an old small photo of Reb Chaim when he was a handsome teenager. Now, I, write a, I, I put a little footnote at that point that says, not the photo shown here, because... I found a picture of Reb Chaim when I think he was a teenager, and he was an handsome teenager, but it wasn't, the, I was trying to track down the actual photo of, because I spoke to the guy, I'll, t- as, I'll tell you the story in a second, but I could not get the actual photo, so I just used another photo of Reb Chaim as a young boy. So anyway, he asked the student, this old friend of Reb Chaim that grew up with Reb Chaim, asked the student to give this picture to the when he arrives in Yerushalayim to get tested, do me a favor, bring along this picture, it'll be, you know, it'll remind Reb Chaim of the, those days that we were together. And Reb Chaim, when, when this Bachar arrived from, from America, he got his Fahar, and then he, he basically took that photo out of his pocket, and he showed it to Reb Chaim. So Reb Chaim, you know, what would you do if you got an old picture? You would look at it, he'd smile and say, yeah, those are good old days, or whatever. Reb Chayim, who was frail from a stroke he had suffered, looked at the photo, excused himself, and took it to the other side of the room. As he carefully studied the image, Reb Chaim began to weep. He returned after a few moments visibly shaken. Incredibly, the elderly Rosh Hashiva, with unfathomable life achievements, he was the reshiva of the mirror. He gave Muslim shmuz in, in the mirror. He was the head of the mirror when it was in Shanghai in China during the war years. And then he came and he was reshiva in Eretz Yisrael, in that branch. So, and he put out svarim. And he had plenty of lifetime achievements. He had a beautiful family. He had nothing to, uh, you know, to look back on and say, I, I, I blew it. But nevertheless, he started to cry. He returned after a few moments visibly shaken. Incredibly, he regarded the photo as a graphic reminder of the passage of time and lamented, what have I done with my life? What have I done with my life? He looked back at the picture, he says, Boy, did I blow my life. Now, if there's one man in the world that you'd probably switch places with in a second, it would be Rukhim But He has tremendous schhosimi. There's no one that had like he had, like he had, like he had, he did everything. He was like really, like the, one of the great G'dayle Yisrael. But when he looked at an old picture of himself, he started crying because he felt that he had done nothing with his life. That student, Rabbi Yaakov Hopfer, who is today a distinguished rab in Baltimore, told me, you cannot imagine the impression this experience made upon me it's a tremendous experience right if you're a bacher seeing this you you're by Rashiva, and you think like he's like king of the world and he was and yet he looked back at a photo of him and of himself and he he felt like he was, he blew it he wasted his whole life it's a very very big musseshmus and it's you know i guess the takeaway for us not from from me but for everyone else in this room is that when you're young when you're your age you should live your life thinking that when you become an older man when you become let's say in your 70s in your 80s whatever and beyond the Mitzvah shem, and you look at a picture of yourself at this age you should say wow you know I did I did good stuff with my life I, it was a life worth living and a lot of people don't live a life a lot of people they lose their dreams they lose their aspirations they just they're Mestapik B'muot they settle for mediocrity in their life but there's no excuse for that I think I think the Chazanish writes in one of his letters that, um, that for a Jew, mediocrity is kfirah. It's like heresy. It's no play. We don't, a Jew doesn't believe in doing anything mediocre. You don't try to. You know, sometimes life turns out mediocre, but not because you try it. You don't try to make your life mediocre. You try to really like, kill it, crush it with everything that you do. You're learning, you're davening, you're. Whatever you do, you should do it with your all and be excited, be animated about it, and try to, you know, really have big plans, make for yourself in life, big plans. Don't settle, "Eh, I don't know if I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that, don't be negative. Like, think about what you wanna do, set your sights to that goal, and then just do it. And you could do it, you could do anything that you want. I mean, almost everything. I don't know if you could be a center for the New York Knicks, I don't know if you could be a NFL quarterback, even though, you know, these quotes sometimes, these inspirational quotes make you believe that you can, there are some things you can't do, okay? Let's get that out there. But there are many, many things that you wouldn't believe possible to do, but you could do them. And there are many stories that I know personally of people that everyone in this room was smarter than, and this and these people were able, through sheer tenacity, through Amelus, through Yugiya, through learning and coming to Stharim and Shire and they grew and they grew and they grew to become tremendous. If that's your aspiration, that's for sure doable. If you want to be a Rav, very doable. If you want to go into Chinoch, doable. you want to be a, a lawyer, do whatever it. Whatever you want to do is within your hands. You just have to really, at your age, you have the whole world ahead open to you. Once you become my age and you have, you know, you're married and you have children, you have to you know, have bills to pay, whatever, it becomes much more difficult to dream like very big at that age. But at your age, when you have really so much ahead of you and so little in terms of responsibilities to anyone other than yourself, these are times to like, think, like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, what's my ambition? What's my dream? And then you just have to focus on it. And Davin, that give Dishmaya, and speak to people that are smart and only positive people that are smart, and, uh, and, and then you try to make your way into doing those great things with your life. And, uh, and that's a very, very uh, important thing to do. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't accept the status quo.